the back. We are on week number eight of our study. It's hard to believe we're already into the month of October, but we're glad you're here for it. Am I not? Hey, Justin, can you get my, can you get me volume up on here? Just in case. Thanks. Hey. Well, it is good to see you. If you'll grab your hand out tonight, we are tonight looking at week number eight. Big word tonight, God is omnipotent. As we'll see in a minute, it means God is all-powerful. Now, throughout a lot of these weeks, we've been talking about how limitless God is. If you want a word that kind of describes so many of these attributes of God, it's God is limitless. We saw that God had no limits with regards to time, so he's eternal. He had no limits in terms of needing anything, so he's independent. God has no limits in regards to matter, so he is spiritual. He has no limits in regard to space, so he's omnipresent. He has no limits with his knowledge, so he's omniscient. And so there's one more of these no-limit attributes, and that's what we're coming to tonight, that God has no limits when it comes to power, and we call this his omnipotence. Now, to get us thinking about it, as you see here from Ephesians chapter 1 here, Ephesians 1, this is Paul talking to the, to the people, writing to the people in Ephesus, and look at what he says, particularly about God's power here. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and notice this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. And again, you see the limitations of our language. God's power is so great, it's immeasurably great. But notice how personal this gets, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is a name, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So I just encourage you this week, maybe take some time and read over this and just think about all we'd learn about God's power here, because there's so much about God's power in this text, how it's immeasurably great, how it's directed towards us, it's His great might, it's seen in Christ, it's far above all other powers, greater than any power the enemy has. He's the head over all things, He's sovereign, He's a gift to the church, and just so much about His power just in those few verses. We're going to unpack a lot of those ideas tonight. Now, to get us thinking about this, I want you to see this quote from A.W. Pink to remind us how important this truth about God is. Pink says, We cannot have a right conception of God unless we think of Him as all-powerful, as well as all-wise. He who cannot do what He will and perform all His pleasure cannot be God. And so God would not be God if He's like, Oh, I wish I could do that. I'm just not strong enough to do that. And so Pink reminds us this is essential to the nature of God. So turn to page two there. Let's look at what we mean when we say God is omnipotent. We're taking the word omni, all, potence, powerful, and putting that together, He is all Powerful. Now, before we get into God's power, what is power? Well, we know what power is when we think of electricity. We know when the power goes out, right? But what do we talk about with power in general? Power is the ability to accomplish an end. It's the, capabil- the, excuse me, the capacity or the ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events. So power can take different forms, right? There's physical power. Power to push things and to move things and to pick up things. There's mental power that you study and learn and can communicate. There's even emotional power that you can help bring people along to feel or think a certain way. There's lots of different aspects of power, but it's the ability to accomplish some end. So what then is God's power? Once again, we see the struggle to explain this. Look at the way several different people have tried to explain God's power. First of all, John Frame says, God can do what God can do. 
Well, that's a little bit philosophical. My brain struggles on that one a little bit. But God can do what God can do. God defines power. He is the one who has all power. He made it. And so that's just how Frame defines it. Herman Bavink says it this way. Scripture nowhere sets bounds to God's power. Okay, so God's power is the ability to do things and there's no bounds. It's limitless. Wayne Grudem says God's omnipotence means that God is able to do all his holy will. So notice here, and we'll get to this in a minute, Grudem starts to clarify a little bit that God's power has some self-imposed bounds into what he will and will not do. James Boyce, God's power is the effective energy inherent in his nature by which he's able to do all things. The exercise of that power is dependent, similar to Grudem here, is dependent upon his will or his purpose and is limited not by what he can do, but by what he chooses to do. Stephen Sharnock, who was a Puritan pastor, said the power of God is that ability and strength whereby he can bring to pass whatsoever he pleases, whatsoever his infinite wisdom may direct, and whatsoever the infinite purity of his will may resolve. God's power is like himself, infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. It can either be checked, restrained, or frustrated by the creature. I just like that. It cannot be frustrated. How much have we wanted to see things done? And we've gotten frustrated by either people weren't learning what we were trying to teach them or we didn't have the strength to do what we want to do and we got tired and ran out of energy. God is never frustrated because his power can do whatever he wants to do. Charles Spurgeon, God's power is like himself, self-existent, self-sustained. The mightiest of men cannot add so much as a shadow of increased power to the omnipotent one. So let's simplify all that down. Our definition of of God's power, simply God is all-powerful. He can accomplish any end that he desires. So whatever God wants to do, God is able to do because he is all powerful. Now, once again, this truth about God's omnipotence, like the other attributes, is revealed in Scripture. I've got revealed underlined there because what's so important, we're not just reasoning this. We're not just concluding this. These are things that God has directly told us. This is God's self-revelation. God wants to be known, and so God reveals to us who he is. And so he's revealed to us that he is an all-powerful God. Now, there's several ways we see that in Scripture. God's revealed it, first of all, there in his names. Look at this. He's so powerful, it becomes part of his name. Genesis 17, 1. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. 56 times in Scripture, friends, we're told God is the Almighty One. 56 times God uses his name. He is God Almighty. Isaiah chapter 1. Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the Mighty One of Israel. Or in Mark 14, when Jesus is speaking, Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And in the Greek, this word that's translated Almighty means possessing all power, possessing all authority, that God is the one who is the Lord who possesses all power, who possesses all authority. Or Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude... Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. So all throughout Scripture, Old Testament knew God has revealed through his name that he is all-powerful, that he is almighty. We also see in Scripture, we turn to page 3 there, God gives us descriptions that he is strong. So to the Psalm, Psalm 24 eight, Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Or Psalm 62.11, Once God has spoken... Twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. We also see the revelation of God's omnipotence in statements in Scripture that nothing is impossible for him. And I love these. Genesis 18. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, that's not a question because God's not sure the answer to this. It's a rhetorical question to make a point here. Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
At the point in time, I will return to you about this time. Next year, Sarah will have a son. So this is in the context of God talking to Abraham about having a son in his old age. And Abraham and Sarah are going, this is impossible. And God says, no, no, I have all power. Nothing is impossible for me. Or once again, we go back to Job like we do most weeks. Job's response to God's rebuke. This is Job humbling himself towards the end of the book. And Job says, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Or Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, the beginning of Jeremiah's prayer in this section. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. This is in the account of the rich young ruler. And the disciples ask Jesus, who can be saved? When Jesus says it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, the disciples go, well, who then can be saved? And here's Jesus' answer. Jesus looked at him and said, but man, this is impossible with God. All things are possible. Or in Luke chapter 1, the angel talking to Mary about what's happening with her conceiving with the virgin conception. And the angel tells her, nothing will be impossible with God. Or Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do, notice this, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, I just as I was reading over it, thinking over that, just I couldn't get past that phrase far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. His power is that infinite and that great. Beyond anything we can even fathom, God can do it. So God reveals to us in Scripture, He completely tells us, I am an all-powerful God. He tells us, My name is mighty. He tells us in his descriptions of himself. He tells us in statements that nothing is too hard for him. So all throughout Scripture, God is revealing to us that He is omnipotent, He is all-powerful. But not only does He tell us that, He demonstrates that throughout all of scripture. So here's your easy question tonight. Where do we see God's power at work? And the answer is everywhere. There is nowhere we do not see the power of God at work. So there's a lot we could talk about, but there's three, and these should sound familiar. These are similar to what we looked at where we said, where do we see God's wisdom demonstrated? Because God's wisdom, we see his power being exercised at the same time. So where do we see God's power? First of all, in creation. This is where I've loved going through Genesis on Sunday morning because we see so much and the power of God on full display for us. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And friends, just as I've been working through Genesis, I fear so often in my own heart, and for a lot of us, we lose the wonder of this. A God that is so powerful, he can just speak and things come into being. He can speak in nebula up here. He can speak and create things out of nothing. His power is that great that just his voice can create things out of nothing. So we need to have wonder that. Or Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. And so we see when we think about creation, God's power displayed. We also see God's power displayed in his providential rule over creation. Now, when we talk about providence, we mean that God is constantly involved in all of his creation. He's ruling all of it. God didn't just make it and let it go to run its course. God is continually ruling over his creation. It's his providential rule. He sustains everything that he made. So turn the page there to the top of page four. We see God's providential rule, his power on display in multiple places in scripture. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. And notice this, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worship you. You preserve all of them. Or Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Friends, have you ever stopped to ponder that the earth has never once left its orbit? 
that the earth has never once fallen off of its axis, that the earth keeps spinning on its axis, it keeps orbiting around the sun, that doesn't stop doing it. Have you ever pondered the fact that gravity has never stopped working? Can you imagine what would happen if all of a sudden gravity failed today and we all just start floating up? Like, we just take this for granted, but God is sustaining his creation. And what we see in those first two verses, everything keeps working. And that is the power of God that I've never floated off the face of the earth. Or the earth hasn't suddenly slammed to stop and we all go flying through the atmosphere and land in the Atlantic Ocean somewhere. The earth keeps moving. Gravity keeps working because God's power and creation is still on display in his providence. And his power is so necessary for the earth to keep functioning. Look at what Job says in Job 34. This is a fascinating verse. If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. That we are that dependent, the power of God to keep sustaining creation, to keep sustaining us. The one more of many examples where we see God's omnipotence on display is in redemption in the gospel. The fact that there is salvation for guilty sinners like me and like you. I love how John Frame says it. Redemption itself contradicts all human expectation. It is God's mighty power entering a situation that from a human viewpoint is hopeless. You look at where we are, alienated from God, isolated because of our sin, and there's hope available to us because of God's power. Look at how the gospel is described in Scripture, Romans 1.4. And he was declared to be the Son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also the Greek. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And because of all those hopes of God's power, God's power, Philippians 1 6, I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, every time we celebrate the homecoming of a follower of Christ who is God has called him to heaven, we are celebrating the power of of God because he redeemed them and sustained them throughout all of their life. So there's so many reminders for us of God's power at work. Now, as we think about that, let's clarify several truths, several implications about God's omnipotence. You see this here towards the bottom of page four. Number one, this is the obvious one, okay? This is the one we make sure kids get in the, in the kids' ministry. Nothing is too hard for God. Like That's the first natural conclusion of all this. Nothing is too hard for God. We saw this in Luke 1 earlier, the direct saying from the angel, nothing will be impossible with God. Friends, realize that hard and easy, these are human words of our limitations. These aren't words that God has to use. God's work is effortless to him. When God spoke the world into being, he was like, he wasn't like, well, that was hard, but I did it. I'll just go make some plants now. That'll be easier. Hard and easy are human experiential terms. That's not God's experience. There's nothing hard, nothing easy. It's just all effortless to God because he is so powerful. I shared this in the Genesis sermon a few weeks ago, but I thought it's important to bring back Something Kent Hughes said. He said, Omnipotence needs no rest because regardless of the amount of power that goes forth from him, his power is not depleted one whit. His omnipotent creating power is infinite. God did not need a breather. So nothing is too hard for God. Friends, when I do hard work, I need my breathers. If I go for a run, I definitely need my breather when I get back. When I cut the grass, I need my breather. When I go hiking, I need my breathers. God doesn't need breathers. He did not like, that was tired. I need to go rest now. Nothing is too hard for God. Number two, though, God is infinite. That means he could do more than he has done if he had willed to do so. 
So the universe we have is not the max of God's power. God could have done more if he had wanted to. So if God hadn't chosen to, there could have been a hundred earths with life all circling this sun. If God wanted to, he could have the word gospel painted in the sky and the clouds every morning appear and write out you know, Romans 1.16. God can do whatever he wants to do. So the fact that we have what we have doesn't mean that's all God could do. God could do infinitely more if he had chosen to do so. And so two terms people use to try to clarify this. One is God's absolute power. That's what we're talking about. God's absolute power means he's infinite. He can do anything. But what we've experienced is God's ordained power. That is what he and his perfect wisdom chose to do. So there's not a hundred earths with life in our solar system. God's absolute power could have done that. But his ordained power chose to just make one. God could have written the gospel in the sky in his infinite or his absolute power, but his ordained power chose to give it through the scripture and to give his people a message to take to the nations. God can do whatever God wants to do. So turn the page here, and we see examples in scripture of God's absolute power, but God not doing everything he could do. For example, Exodus chapter 32. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, or that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God. We looked at this before. God is angry at the idolatry of his people. And so he, in his power, could speak and wipe them out right there. That was his absolute power to do that. But his ordained power chose to show mercy to them. So the fact that God didn't wipe them out didn't mean God couldn't wipe them out. He chose not to in his wisdom. You see this assembly in Jesus talking in Luke 10. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, So these were not a people beyond the reach of God. God could have redeemed them had he chosen to. He chose not to. Why? Well, he doesn't tell us. That's what Deuteronomy 29, that's not on your notes, but Deuteronomy 29 tells us the secret things belong to the Lord. Things that are revealed belong to us. There's things in God's infinite wisdom that we do not understand. We are limited. And so there are things God chooses to do and not do, and we do not know the mind of the Lord on those. And I love what Jesus said in Matthew 3. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So if God wanted to, he could speak and all those rocks and become people. His absolute power could do that, but his ordained power is not chosen to do that. So just because we have what we have doesn't mean God is limited to that. God could do more if he wants to. He's that powerful. Number three, this also means that no one and nothing can stop God. Absolutely no and absolutely nothing can stop God's will here. So Job 23 but he is unchangeable. And who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. Or Isaiah 43. And henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? And the answer is obvious there. If God has chosen to do something in his power, no human army, no amount of people on earth, even if everyone on earth rallied together, no one could stop God's plan because nothing can stop God. Or Daniel chapter 4, you see it. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. None can say to him, what have you done? Absolutely nothing can stop God. Now that leads to a huge important clarification, number four here, because I think some believers miss this today. Satan himself cannot hinder or stop God in any way. Now there's a lot of misunderstanding on this in Christian circles today. Satan cannot stop or hinder God. Now, I, some of you who know me well know I love Star Wars. I love the Star Wars saga. I love those movies. I love the, even the shows on Disney about it. Now I love the Mandalorian. I, I, it's a fascinating storyline to me. The Bible is not Star Wars. This is not force versus the dark side, and you never quite know who's going to prevail in the moment. That's not the storyline of Scripture, but you listen to some believers, and they act like that's what's going on here. God wins. 
Scripture is clear on that. Satan is limited. God is not. So Satan cannot stop or hinder God. Matthew 12. But it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is Jesus talking. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus is telling us that he has come and he has bound the strong man. He has bound Satan and he is plundering Satan's house. He's bringing out lost sinners for himself. Christ is the one who has done that. It's not Satan and Christ battling and see who's going to win. Jesus is sovereign. And so he has already bound the enemy. Therefore we see the promise in Revelation 12 there. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. So we are told the end of the story. This is not us wondering, oh, let's work really hard for Jesus and maybe he'll win in the end. God is all-powerful. Satan cannot in any way hinder or stop God. God is sovereign. And this means, friends, you see it right there on your handout, Satan can only go as far as God allows. Satan can only go as far as God allows. Now, there's two illustrations that help me understand this over the years about Satan's power and what he can and cannot do. The first, you see a picture of a garden hoe. And so this is an illustration I heard. I think it came from Spurgeon. He said, Satan is like a garden hoe. So think about a garden hoe. If you're ever out gardening, that garden hoe likes tearing up things, right? So that garden hoe is powerful in a sense. It can cut roots. It can dig up weeds. It can tear up stuff. And so Satan is that garden hoe. He's delighting in bringing destruction and breaking things. What he doesn't, or I guess he realizes it, but the reality is he's being held by the gardener. And so the things he's delighting in tearing up, the gardener's allowing him to tear up to make something even more beautiful. The Satan is not just doing whatever he wants to do. He is limited by God's power, God's authority, God's will. And so whatever he's tearing up, God has got a bigger plan for. I also saw the illustration once that Satan is like a mad dog, but he's on a leash. He's that mad dog that's this barking, wanting to devour, but he can only go as far as the person holding the leash is letting him go. God is holding that leash on Satan. He's not equal to God. He is a creative being much lower than God. He is not all-powerful. Only God is. If you want a clear example of this, again, like we do most of us, go back to the book of Job. The book of Job is fascinating insight into the relationship of God and Satan. Because if you look at Job, you think of all the awful things Satan did to Job. What a lot of people miss is this important verse at the beginning, God initiated it. Not Satan. Job 1.8, And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Everything that plays out in the book of Job is not Satan going, okay, I've got a strategy here. This is God saying to Satan, have you considered? Like God is sovereign, Satan is not here. And so then when Satan says, hey, he's only following you because you bless him, what does God say? Job 1.12, the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. But notice it's only against him. Do not stretch out your hand. So what does Satan do? He starts taking away things, but he can't physically touch Job yet because God is holding the leash. Only when God says you can touch his body, can Satan touch his body. God is the one who's sovereign in all these things, not Satan. So that means nothing can stop God, not even Satan himself. So turn the page there to, to the next page. One more implication of God's absolute powers. Number five, there are some things that God cannot do because those things would violate his character other attributes. So can God do anything? Well, yes, qualified. He can't do anything that violates his character. So J.I. Packer says God's power is the power to do everything that is in his rational and moral perfection God wills to do. Or Mark Jones says God's power must also be understood as exercised to or governed by his nature. God cannot act in a way that compromises holiness or justice or goodness or truth. And you see this in scripture, friends. Matthew 26 do you think, this is Jesus talking, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father 
and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. But then how should the scripture be fulfilled? That it must be so. So Jesus is saying, yeah, I could escape from this trial. I have the power to do it. But he's not doing it because he, God's will was for redemption to happen. So he's following that perfect will. James 1.3, let no one say when he's tempted. I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. So are there things that can God do anything? Yes. Anything consistent with his will. He cannot tempt or be tempted. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself, or Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So can God do anything? Yes, but he cannot lie. He cannot do anything that's not holy. Everything he does, he's got power to do absolutely anything, but it will always, always, always be consistent with his holiness, his goodness, his perfect character. So that leads to a fascinating part of this idea of God's power. This is actually a communicable attribute. This is an attribute that God shares in part with us. Now, the omnipotence is not, this is, omnipotence is not communicable, but power is communicable. God who has all power shares power with us in part. And God has given to us power to bring about results for his purposes. He's given us physical strength and mental strength, spiritual strength, argumentative persuasive strength so that we can do his purposes. This is something he gives as a common grace to people on this earth. People on this earth have power because we're image bearers of God to do things that God has told us to do. Now, throughout the Bible, you see God, many examples of God giving strength to people to accomplish his will. Here's just one from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 31. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in sight of all Israel, be strong, there's your physical strength, and courageous, there's your mental strength. We shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. Or Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Friends, if you look at all the different accounts of the Great Commission, there's always some type of power promise tied with it. God didn't just say, go do it. He said, I'm going to give you the power to go be my witnesses. So that will be a whole fascinating study from their time. But the power promises of the Great Commission. But as we think about power being communicable, remember two things. First of all, our power is very, very limited friends we are not omnipotent like god we are finite we have to rest we cannot do everything we have to use means to accomplish ends so we have power but it's very different than god's power and second of all our power as friends is dependent upon god look how aw pink says it not a creature in the entire universe has an hour an atom of power save what god delegates think about it. not a creature in the entire universe has an atom of power save what god Delegates Any power we have is because God has given it to us. John 15, 5, that's why we have the call here, that I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we want to do anything that accomplishes God's purpose, it requires us being dependent upon God. Or this beautiful text from Ephesians 6 on the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Notice this, in the strength of his might. Not our own might. Strength comes from God. Now, page seven, this is important where it hits our daily lives. How should this truth about God change us? Again, these attributes are not just things we do so we can sit around at Starbucks or a coffee shop and just have theological discussions. These are here because this shows us God's nature and it changes how we live when we understand who God is. So if if God is all-powerful, first of all, I see their correct belief in God's omnipotence will not lead us to laziness. If you ever hear someone say, I don't have to do that, God's all-powerful, he'll do what he wants to do. 
that are misunderstanding this attribute of God. Laziness cannot be the conclusion we come to from the fact that God is all-powerful. Friends, the reality is here, God can utilize his power in any way that he chooses, but he often uses very ordinary means to accomplish his work. I love what Mark Jones said, and this is an interesting thought. According to God's absolute power, he can sanctify every Christian congregation immediately by the power of his spirits quite apart from preaching, the reading of God's word, and the sacraments. But according to his ordained power, he's not chosen to do so. Rather, he has ordained means to accomplish ends. So if God had willed it, he could just speak, and everyone at Gateway could be perfectly sanctified in one moment with no effort. He could do that. He is that powerful. He could speak, and everyone in the world could immediately bow the knee and confess. He has got that much power, but God chooses to work through ordinary means and ordinary means of his people ministering to one another. So he ministers through the reading of God's word, through the sacraments, through community, through prayer. He cho- he's chosen to use means to exercise his power, though he could do it any way he wants to. So that leads to several conclusions for us. Number one, this should lead us to pursue the pathways of grace. Now, if you're not familiar with this term, God's grace is something God gives. It's not conditioned. We can't earn it. But there's certain places where God just really delights in pouring out his grace. The word, prayer, and Christian community. That's where I've been transformed the most. That's where you have been transformed the most. Is because God gives us these pathways of grace. It's still all of him. It's still all his power. But he's chosen to work through those means. So when I get with brothers in Christ and they ask me hard questions and we pray together and we read the Bible together, God works through the power of his spirit and his word. He uses these pathways of grace to change us. And so the fact that God is all powerful doesn't mean I'm going to sit around at home and wait for God to sanctify me. This means I run to these places where God loves to pour out his power. I love Ephesians 6. We looked at another verse from Ephesians 6 a minute ago. This beautiful text on spiritual warfare. And notice what we're told. We're told to take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice how active this is. We're taking up thoughts of our salvation, remembering who we are in Christ. We're taking up the Word of God. We're praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To this end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. God could have chosen to make a world where that's not the means of grace, but that's not the world God created. He created a world where he delights in moving his power through these means of grace. So we should long for, we should desire and delight in the Bible and prayer and in community. And when we neglect those things, friends, we are cutting ourselves off from the way that God often delights to manifest his power in the lives of his people. So it should lead us to pursue these things. Number two, this should lead us to seek to do good for others. It should drive us, not just around going, God's all-powerful. He'll help that person in need if he wants to. God uses us. He uses his people to help others. In Galatians 6, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Again, Mark Jones says it so well. Amazingly, God's ordained power makes use of human means. And those means are rather ordinary, such as preaching prayer, admonition, and godliness. There's how many people who've come to faith in Christ because they had a believer living near them who just simply walked with the Lord in joy and they saw the difference. God could just zap that person, but instead he sovereignly put a believer in their life and this believer lived out the gospel and spoke of the gospel and prayed for their friend and God's power worked through that and drew that lost person to himself. Friends, the reality that God is all powerful should give us motivation to seek to do good to others knowing that God will use that. Number three, closely related, it should lead us to share the gospel. Friends, God being all-powerful should make us hopeful 
when we go take the gospel to our neighbor, our coworkers, when we take the gospel to the nations, because God has given power to his word, he's given power to believers to make him known, and God moves in those situations. You know this well, but the Great Commission, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And tie that with Acts 1, that he will receive his power and then will be his witnesses. God's omnipotence should drive us to want to share Christ with others. But number four, and this is so important, God's omnipotence should lead us to prayer. And it should lead us to dependent prayer, friends. If we realize we're limited, but God is not. If we realize that God is the one who moves, but he works through means. That should lead us to a place where we're asking God to move in situations. Now, those of you who know me well know I'm a fixer. My tendency, if I, there's a problem, I want to fix it right away. And so God has to keep bringing back to a place of no, I need to talk to the Lord first. Because my power is limited. My power, any power I have is because God has given it. And so what I need to do before I try to fix something is to talk to the Lord about it because ultimately he has the wisdom, he has the power, and he gives us the power to do his will, but he calls us to depend on him. That's why we see this beautiful promise in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, and everything means everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God is saying, I am all-powerful. I spoke the world into being. I'm sustaining the world now. Talk to me about everything. But how quick are we to try to do things in our strength and our wisdom and to miss this? I love how Rosemary Jensen, in her book, Praying the Attributes of God, says it. Lord, please forgive me for not trusting your power to do anything you desire. So often my conception of you has been too small. I have not asked you to do things that I consider impossible Please cause me to ask for big things and trust that if they're in your plan, that you will do them for your glory. Because I don't know about you, but there have been times I've been hesitant to pray, asking God to do big things because I've forgotten how powerful God is. And God says, remember my power and let that drive you to pray and to talk to me. So that's God's omnipotence. He is all powerful, more powerful than anything we can comprehend. And that's the God who has invited us to know him. He's revealed this himself to us so that we can know him and invites us to talk to him about all the things we need him to do. So a few things just to talk about in your discussion groups tonight. I thought it might be fun if you take a few minutes and ask, how have you seen God's power at work? What are ways you've seen God's power working? What are some things God is calling you to do that will require reliance on the strength he's provided to you? What are things that you know God is saying go do, but you need his strength to do it? Our power and strength is dependent on God. Why then do we try to do things in our own strength? I struggle with this, and I suspect many of you do as well. So if our strength comes from God, why do we try on our own and not rely on God? So how then can we as a body of believers encourage each other to rely on God for strength for each day? And then these are kind of questions we ask every week. How does God's omnipotence help us overcome fear? How does this truth about God being all-powerful help us fight sin in our lives? How does this truth about God being all-powerful encourage us to pray? How does that even shape how we pray? And how does this truth provide us motivation to make Christ known through evangelism and missions. So I hope you'll have fun talking about those things tonight. As usual, ladies are in room one. Sorry, couples in room one, ladies in room two, men are in room four, and feel free to go whatever would best serve you and your family. So thanks. Look forward to hearing how your discussions go tonight.